Good morning. My name is Magdiel. A scripture passage comes from the book of John, chapter 12, verse 12 through 16, from the NIV version. The next day, the great crowd that had come from the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey cold. At first his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. And thank you for reading uh, the scripture passage. Again, that scripture passage was John 12, uh, in John 12, 12 through 16. And this is John's version of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Jesus' triumphal entry, which the Gospels all address. Um, the Synoptic Gospels uh, may have some elements that John is missing, and John has some elements that uh, the other Gospels are missing. But we're going to take a look at this one. Um, with that, let's, let me lead us in some prayer. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you um, that you came to this world to love us, to walk among us, to heal people, and also offer your own life as salvation, as a way uh, of redeeming and covering us uh, for our sins. And we come together and declare um, that we're waiting for you to uh, do new things in us as individuals and in our church, in our communities and in the world, do new thing, bring new life. And we know you can bring new life because you are alive. You are alive and powerful. So may your spirit be in this place, even though we're separated, we are together because of you and your spirit doing a work in us. May your word go from this place and accomplish what you set uh, for it to accomplish in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You know, so uh, I remember growing up as a kid and getting in trouble from my parents, getting in trouble from my dad or my mom, and always whispering under my breath because I was too chicken to say it to my parents in their face. Or maybe once in a while I said it to my parents in their face like, when I grow up, I'm never going to be like my dad. Haven't we all said this as kids and you kids out there? It's okay. I know you think that. I'm never going to be mean like my dad and my mom or, you know, be so strict like my dad and my mom or drown them for days and days and days for doing little things like my mom and dad. When I grow up, I'm not going to be say the things that my dad says or like, when I was a kid, I had to walk five miles in the snow without shoes. Or if you don't work, you don't eat. People who don't work shouldn't be able to eat. So just to tell us to work hard or uh, this and that. And, uh, you know, as kids, as adolescents, as teenagers, we always think we know better. We always think uh, we're not going to be like our parents. We're not going to say the same things. We're not going to do the same things with our children. And I remember my father distinctly saying multiple times in my life, you know, you may not understand this now, but when you're older and you have kids, 
you're gonna know why I'm doing this. You're gonna understand. You don't understand it now, but you will understand it when you have kids of your own. And I'm like, whatever, whatever, I'm gonna be different. I don't understand why you're doing this. But sure enough, sure enough, now as I'm a father of two, father of a 12 year old on the verge of, you know, teenage, his teenage years and a father of a, a willful independent six year old, um, I find myself saying the same things like, when you get older, Isaiah, you'll see, you'll understand why I say these things, why I do these things, why I lecture you. You'll understand, you'll see, and I'm saying the same exact phrases and things that my dad and my mom said to me growing up that I thought I would never say. Because as adults, we begin to more fully understand what our parents understand back then when they were disciplining us. Because we see it now, now we see what we couldn't see when we are younger, we see the bigger picture. We have more responsibility. We have the responsibility now that they had back then of being stewards of the gift of children that God had given us. And we realize our minds are open, our hearts are open. We're more mature and we're able to see what they see. That's not always right. I mean, I'm not saying parents are perfect, right? And have the last word uh, on anything, but they're, Usually parents are wise and we begin to realize their wisdom later on in life. And I, many times in my life, have seen the wisdom of my mother and my father unfolding for me over time when I didn't see it before. Amen. Amen. And in our passage, our passage, we get a story, John, the Gospel of John's rendition or version of Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which traditionally is the passage that's uh, taught in the lectionary uh, on the week before Easter. Either you have the liturgy of the palms, you know, many of you who grew up in the church may remember waving your palm branches around as we shout Hosanna or sing some songs. They, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, which is in this passage. The other option um, in the week before Easter is to have a Passion Sunday, the liturgy of the Passion, uh, where you address the passages of Jesus' suffering and his torture leading up um, to his execution on the cross. Um, but Palm Sunday is much more happy and much more celebratory. So I think over Lent, a lot of churches may prefer you know, Palm Sunday, because it's it's almost like this celebratory uh, reprieve, you know, from kind of the, the downness and the darkness and the death of Jesus Christ and the kind of the fasting and the sacrificing involved in Lent. But actually, when you look at the deeper meaning of Jesus's final entry into Jerusalem before he's arrested and tortured and crucified, it's a very subversive story, right? On the surface, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. He's entering a crowded city and the, the fans, the crowds, the people who are looking to see Jesus, who are looking to lift Jesus up, are praising him. They're treating him like a king, like royalty. 
Like many of the figures in the history of Israel who were kings and great rulers and came to redeem the people, just think of King Saul when the people of Israel had no king and they did whatever they wanted and they demanded of the prophet Samuel, we're tired of having judges and, and prophets. We want a king like the other nations. We want someone who we can praise and stand up and elevate. And so Saul, uh, Samuel found Saul, who was a head taller than every person, who was handsome and tall. Just the, the image of greatness. And the people wanted Israel to be great. They wanted to have a great king. Um, in the history uh, of Israel, of the kingdoms, um, where um, the Seleucid Empire, I think that's how you pronounce it, um, had taken over, or one of the empires that had taken over Jerusalem. And they had set up uh, structures, a tower, a guard structure, and basically kept the Israelites from worshiping in the temple in the way they did. They kept them from practicing their rituals. They kept them from sacrificing, making sacrifices to God. They kept them from uh, performing ritual circumcision. This and this and this. Basically, right, if someone set up, if a foreign power set up, you know, uh, um, a, a fortress in the middle of the White House saying, this is our territory, this is us. This is what had happened in the second century BC. And Simon Maccabees, Simon Maccabees, who was a military ruler, came, leader, came in and took back Jerusalem, took back the temple. And the people in Jerusalem were cheering, right? And, and screaming and shouting and lifting up Simon of Maccabees, this new military hero who had cleansed the temple, not just a, a foreign power, but a, was cleansing the temple for a renewal of worship in the place. And it says that they waved palm branches and they laid palm branches before Simon of Maccabees because this was a signal or a sign or a ritual of celebrating a king a ruling king who saved the people with military might. So there's history of the people waiting for deliverance, waiting for a military power to deliver the people from oppression. And so as Jesus is entering Jerusalem and he's on a donkey, in fact, a foal, right? The young foal of a donkey, he's riding in and the people who have all gathered, we remember this is the uh, Passover festival. The Passover festival was the largest festival, religious festival. Um, the city of Jerusalem would swell to 500,000 to almost a million people, doubling and tripling, as we've noted. And met at this time, this year, people have come but not only are they come to make a pilgrimage as they do annually to make their sacrifices, uh, pay homage, worship God in the temple from all the surrounding lands, 
but they have also come in excitement to see this Jesus, as we talked about last week, who had raised Lazarus from the dead. Right? And they've also come to see Lazarus, who is this man who was dead, is now alive, and this Jesus, this, this exciting figure, we've come to see who he is. And we remember the Pharisees and the religious rulers of the temple have got a most wanted sign out for Jesus and Lazarus. They want to kill Jesus. They want to get rid of Lazarus in order to get rid of the threat, the threat to their way of being, the threat to their power and influence. They feel threatened by the influence and the power of Jesus Christ. And the people, but the people are feeling, oh, something big is happening. Finally, we have a new king, like King Saul, like King David. We have a king that we've been waiting for, who will be our representative, who will deliver us, who will be strong and mighty and victorious, who will make Jerusalem great again, make Jerusalem great again, bring us back our nation, bring us back our identity, bring us back into your favor, Lord, the top of all nations, the favorite of all nations. Hosanna, Hosanna, there's a great army. But as Jesus comes in on the foal of a donkey, the symbol and the image of the donkey himself is subversive. It's subversive because it's saying, here's this humble, humble, humble animal. And the king of all Jerusalem, the king of the Jews is coming on a humble animal. And we know we've seen the donkey in scripture in different places. When Jesus as an infant was escaping Herod, and they were refugees into Egypt, running away from Herod into Egypt, they went on a donkey, right? And we remember the story of Balaam and Balaam's donkey, right? The stubborn donkey that actually spoke an almost comedic story of God using, <laughs> speaking through an animal such as a donkey. It's not what you associate with royalty or with greatness or with majesty or power. Not a donkey. If a king, a victorious military leader were to come into the city of Jerusalem, we would imagine a stallion, right? A black or white horse, right? Coming in in his armor, galloping gallantly into the city with troops behind him. But Jesus comes in on a donkey. And this is very subversive because of what it says is it's telling the world and the people who would follow Jesus. And in Jesus' words itself, in his discourse in the following chapters to his disciples, what greatness is, is different than what you think it is, right? For me to bring peace, you don't understand what it's going to take for peace to happen, right? You think peace and goodness is going to come by way of force and strength. But I'm going to come and lay my life down. And in that laying down and that sacrifice is victory. Church, do you know what we believe in 
is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ walked to the cross willingly. Jesus Christ humbled himself first to be with us as God. He humbled himself. And secondly, he walked into the jaws of death in Jerusalem, the belly of the beast, knowing that he would be crushed by the authorities, knowing that people were out to get him, knowing that he wasn't going to wield a sword right, or his power to wipe everyone out and prove himself great, but that he would hang on a cross and die for the sake of the world. Very humble, humbling, a very different path than what people thought or believed would happen. And so we remember, if you're going to be where Jesus is, you're going to be about what Jesus was about. You want to take on the cruciform life and take on the character of Christ. We see in Philippians 2, what is that way of Christ? What is the character of Christ? Starting in verse 5 of chapter 2 in Philippians, this is called the Christ hymn. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Have the same mindset. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a person, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave Jesus the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus now and in the future to come, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. There is that idea again, to the glory of the Father that we talked about last week. Right? God will be glorified. Jesus is saying to his disciples, I'm going to, a, I'm lowering myself. Right? I'm going to my death. And like I am going, you need to go, be ready to go to, to lose your life, to gain it. Because God will be glorified in this. Not a nation, not a people, not one man, not a great king. We're not here to make Jerusalem great again. We're not here to make America great again. We're not to be this great power to be glorified in ourselves, building our great towers to the sky, to be like God. But the path to greatness is in our submitting to obedience and servanthood and to the way of Christ who humbled himself. This is the subversiveness of the donkey. This is the subversiveness of the king coming on. A donkey, the humble, 
humble animal. Also what we notice, uh, what I've noticed in John that's different than maybe Luke or um, in Matthew 21 and Luke 28 of Jesus' triumphal entry, before he enters into Jerusalem in, in Luke and Matthew, he tells his disciples, go on ahead of me and you'll see a donkey with its foal tied, tied up and go. And if anyone asks you, what are you doing? Say, I, the Lord has need of this. And sure enough, when they go, they find the donkey in its foal and they untie it and are ready to take it to Jesus just as he predicted. And so people ask them, what are you doing? The Lord has need of this. And so Jesus, having this donkey now, rides into Jerusalem. The people shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, which is quoting Psalm 118, which is the people crying out, elevating and praising the king, a majestic figure, a royal figure. And this is what the people are shouting and praising to Jesus. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king who comes, the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king that comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is king. And if you remember in John 19, 19, Pilate puts a wooden placard on Jesus's cross and says, here is, here hangs Jesus, the king of the Jews. The irony of it at one of evil of the powers that be having the victory that day or thinking that they had the victory that day when Jesus was on the cross. The irony of saying, oh, Jesus, your king, look at your king now. Look at your king now. What is he? He's nothing. The irony of this. It's the subversive, the great, the great trick, the great subversive trick of the crucifixion and resurrection is that the world thought it had defeated a man, a crazy man. But in the end, God has the last word. Amen. God is victorious. And in our lives, when the world, when evil when the systems tell you, you've lost, you're a loser, you're nothing, right? Your God is no God. Your God is not powerful at all. We've come and built a fortress in the middle of your home and cut off all your resources and cut off your identity. Where is your God now? Ha, 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 mocking. Who are you? You're nothing. Life is difficult. Life is hard. There's no one to save you. Right? Why do you follow Jesus Christ? Why do you follow him? He's, he's just a myth. Right? He's not real. Right? That's an ancient book full of holes. The Bible? Who follows the Bible now? Who follows Jesus anymore?
And when the rest of the world thinks that Jesus is dead, that the last word was at the cross, we continue to believe we have hope in the resurrection and the new life. That's what we believe in, church, that God will be glorified in you. Last week, we remember, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it can't grow up. It can't bear much fruit. And I know that God wants to bear a lot of fruit in you, a lot of fruit in us. And it might not feel like it. It might not seem like it. It might seem like the chapter is done, the book, the story is finished. There's no hope. But in the name of Jesus Christ, Sunday is coming. Easter is coming. The power of the Lord is coming into our lives, into our homes, into this church, into this city, into this nation, into this world. God is going to renew all things, lift the people up. The poor who cry out will be fed. He will listen to the cries of our hearts, the weeping in the night and the morning, the times that you've been on your knees saying, Chuyo, Abachi, Hananim, God, listen, do you hear me? I can't bear this any longer. Will you lift us up? We can't, I just can't take it. That bad people win all the time. That evil seems to have the last word in this world all the time. That the foolish and the rich seem to have the last laugh. And the good, the good seem to be losing left and right. And there's no advantage to being kind or loving or caring or to serve your fellow neighbor. There seems to be no purpose for that or nothing to gain from that. Only loss. And it seems like now when we're all suffering, we're all, you know, afraid of this virus, of the sickness. We're all worried about our families. We're all worried to some extent, afraid to get out there like we used to, to touch, to be with one another. And we're worried, we want, when will I get the vaccine? When do I have access to vaccine? Who can get the vaccine? What about my finances? What about a job? I've lost my job. I can't pay the mortgage. I can't make ends meet. I have to go to work at the risk of my own life. When will this all end? When will racism end in our country? When will people stop seeing me as foreigner, perpetual foreigner? When will I get to be in this land, America, and say, I am American, and be received and accepted. When will all people be truly equal at the table of unity, at the, at the table where brothers and sisters of all nations, creeds, and languages come together and be equal and have their voices heard when when, 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 when will I not be able to not be, walk out of this 
of my home and walk in the streets without being afraid that someone will attack me or that I'll be arrested or treated unfairly. The end of this chapter, or our passage in John, is unique from the other Gospels in that we see that Jesus doesn't send the disciples ahead of time. It, John just leaves that detail out. But what he does say at the end is the disciples remembered what Jesus, everything that was said and done, what Jesus did and said. After, his, after he had gone up and ascended to heaven, they remembered this. And just like Mary at the beginning in the birth infancies, they treasured these things in their heart. Just like me remembering my parents' words, now that I have children. Oh, oh, that thing that Jesus said, now we get it. Now we see the big picture. We thought, along with the crowds, that Jesus was going to do something so much different. We wanted a quick fix. We wanted strength of power, a show of power. We wanted deliverance right there, right? And these, and we denied Jesus even because we were afraid. And the same crowd that were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Later that week, maybe they were the same people that were saying, crucify him, crucify him. Crucifying, oh, how people turn on when they're not getting what they want, when the tides have changed, right? When the media is pointing in a different direction. They canceled Jesus because he didn't fit what they had expected. Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. When here they're saying, Hosanna. Hosanna. But the disciples remember Jesus' words and what had happened that day. And they're like, oh yeah. This was what was supposed to happen. This was what Jesus was teaching and telling us all along. And that knowledge and understanding, that click, that maturity, is what drives them along with the Holy Spirit right, into their ministry in Acts and the New Testament, right? In the Gospels, you're, you listen to the disciples and you're like, they're so dumb, they're idiots, they don't get it. In Acts, you're like, whoa, they're healing people, they're doing miracles, they're preaching with boldness. What was the change? It's because God had done, the Holy Spirit had done a work in their hearts and what they didn't realize before they realize now that there is power. There's power in the blood of Jesus. There's power in the resurrection of Jesus. And this is what we believe as we walk on this journey to Easter. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and thank you for your sacrifice. And thank you that you did not give up, that you stayed on target to fulfill the prophecy and to fulfill your plan to save humanity and to show us a way um, 
that only you could show us that's unconventional, that the world doesn't understand, that's, that means out of controlledness, that means humility, that means uh, even death. The world just doesn't understand it. And there are times we don't understand you, Jesus, and we try to put you in a box and we try to make you the savior that we want you to be. But you're the savior who you are. And we bend to you. We are shaped by you. So take us, Jesus. Form us. Shape us. Make us new in your way, in your power. The only way, the only power to new life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.